Hey everyone, welcome to Totes Profesh, a professional millennial woman's unfiltered breakdown of corporate America, life, and whatever else my girlfriends and I ranted about in our group chat this week. If you're an A-type overachieving professional woman under 40 with an advanced degree student loans but never had a vision board or healing crystals, then this podcast is for you. This week, we heard that Citigroup, the third largest bank in the U.S., has announced that Jane Frazier will be their next CEO, and in fact, the first female CEO of a major bank. As one would expect, Wall Street was like, yeah, we did it. We fixed the problems. So that's it, ladies. We can all pull out our tampons and twirl them over our head because that's it. Sexism in financial services is solved. Jane Frazier will be one of only 30 women CEOs of the 500 companies that make up the S&P 500 stock index. So that means, ladies, only 429 more to go. And I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it because Anthony Weiner turns out he's a CEO now. Remember him? He was the congressman who was sexting a 15-year-old and it cost him his political career. Don't worry, he's now the CEO of Icestone, a factory based out of the Brooklyn Navy Yard. But back to Jane, who is this stud? Well, she's Scottish. Um, she has a master's in econ from Cambridge. She worked as an M&A analyst at Goldman Sachs for a couple years, then worked at a broker-dealer briefly before going to Harvard for her MBA. Can you feel the waspy elitism oozing out of Jane here? After Harvard, she joined McKinsey, where she became a partner before she was lured to Citigroup in 2004 as the head of client strategy in its investment and global banking division. And 16 years later, here we are, CEO. This truly is an extraordinary feat, lest we forget the context and who her peers are. Keep in mind that even though women make up more than 50% of the financial services industry's U.S. workforce, they account for under 22% of leadership. And according to Deloitte, women won't have parity in leadership roles until 2085. Now, I'm not sure on my math here, but fingers crossed 2085 won't coincide with my childbearing years. So we'll see. Also keep in mind that in April 2019 of last year, at a hearing of the House Financial Services Committee, the CEOs of seven major banks, including Citigroup, were asked to raise their hands if they believe that a woman or a person of color would succeed them. You'll never guess what happened. Plot twist. No one raised their hand. What? Unbelievable. I know. Among the CEOs at the House committee meeting was none other than Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, who last year publicly stated proudly that he had recently learned that women were willing to travel for work. What? Mind bomb. Women will work. He said men shouldn't assume that a woman doesn't want to travel. We should ask them. I mean, guys. This industry is just on the cutting edge of innovation on diversity and inclusion. Wow. Of course, not all marketplace participants are as enthusiastic about Jane's promotion to CEO. One Wells Fargo analyst, Mike Mayo, who's quite known in the industry, said, quote, 
She is an unknown entity to the street. For that reason, it's unclear whether she has what it takes to lead such a firm and whether City should have looked externally. Oh, thanks, Mike Mayo. Just this lady who has every credential you could imagine has been with the company for 16 years and has led as president of numerous operations, which we'll get into later. But that was one take. The New York Times was a little different. They said that despite progress, the industry was still struggling to be inclusive and thoughtful about, quote, accommodating women's careers as they rise up the ranks, especially when they have to juggle job and family. I'm sure this is news to you, but only women have this thing called family, and it's really, truly an inhibitor to their advancement in the workplace. It's a woman thing. I know It's kind of crazy. People have probably never heard of it if they're not a woman. But yeah, family shows up and all of a sudden they can't work. They can't travel. They can't do anything. So thank God Wall Street's been so accommodating. Like it's the Americans with Disabilities Act. So glad for that. Now, one of the things that made me a little nervous about this announcement is something that is called the glass cliff. The glass cliff refers to a phenomenon coined by researchers, which shows that companies are only willing to entertain women or people of color for positions of power when the company is, and this is a technical term, in deep shit. And the glass cliff has been documented. In a study published by Harvard Business Review, they asked college students to identify whether a man or woman should be chosen to head a theoretical organic food company after a CEO retired. The study found that when the company had been led by a man and was doing well, more than half of the students chose a candidate who was a man. But when the man-led company was in crisis, even more students said that the woman candidate would be a better fit. Some folks believe that this study shows that People believe that women have better skills for motivating and inspiring others, which are skills that a company more desperately needs in troubled times. I'm a little bit more cynical and suspect that folks recognize that they are more likely to have a woman take the job, especially when it's a losing proposition, rather than a man who's like, I'm not touching that thing with a 10-foot pole, I'll catch the next one, because they know that there will be a next one. And it makes sense, right? Because women and people of color are historically never the bride, always the bridesmaid. So they're like, I don't care if it's the red wedding. I'm in. It's the only shot I got. Let's go red wedding. Getting the job is just half the battle. They say that success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. That is unless you're a female CEO. A 2013 PwC report found that over a 10-year period, more women leaders were forced out of office than men. So 38% of women CEOs versus 27% of male CEOs were forced out, meaning that women walk into crappier situations and they're given a much shorter leash. There's also the double whammy of the fact that activist investors are more likely to target women CEOs than their male counterparts. The New York Times in 2015 found that of 23 women leading S&P 500 companies at that time, at least a quarter had faced fights with activists' investors. And one doesn't need to look far to find numerous examples of women who've fallen victim to the glass cliff. There's a link in this podcast episode if you want to dig deep into an Ernst & Young study discussing such women. What's even more interesting is something called the savior effect. 
Researchers have also found that if a company led by a woman continues to have trouble, that she's often replaced by a white male CEO. Like literally any white male will do. He is the savior. You may not recall this, but in 2011, Yahoo named Carol Bartz to be CEO. She was to take over from a floundering founder. And things didn't go so well. Surprise, surprise. Silicon Valley wasn't ready for a female CEO. People were leaving the company in droves. The board got nervous, and they replaced her with a guy named Scott Thompson. Now, Scott Thompson had to resign six months later because he claimed to have a computer science degree that he didn't have, and no one vetted it. (laughs) Can you imagine? I can't wait for the day. I'll know equality has truly arrived when a woman's promoted to CEO, and it turns out that none of her credentials are real. And people are like, oh my God, (laughs) I can't believe it. We just took her out of our word. It was a handshake. She said, I have a PhD. I was like, why should I question that? (laughs) Anyway. The big question now is, should we be nervous for Jane? I dug a little bit into Jane's background and history with Citigroup to try to console myself and make sure that I felt as though Jane was going to be okay. Now, a little bit of background about Jane's career at Citigroup. In 2004, when she joined, she was head of client strategy in its investment global banking division. Three years later, she was promoted to global head of strategy and mergers and acquisitions, but the financial crisis hit. And so right around then, 2009, she was named CEO of Citi's private bank, which was running a huge annual deficit of about $250 million. So Jane was made president of a unit that was doing shitty. Remarkably, she was able to turn it black during her four-year tenure. She did take certain cost-cutting measures, and she did do some restructurings, I also suspect that the $476 billion in federal funds that Citigroup received through TARP and other lending programs might have helped turn things around for them. Not to take away from Jane's leadership, but that's a pretty big footnote. In 2013, she was asked to become CEO of Citi Mortgage. She has publicly said that she knew this was a career risk because, just so you know, mortgages were pretty freaking toxic in 2013. Citigroup's mortgage division was doing pretty badly because of a market-wide drop in demand for mortgage refinancing, which forced the bank to refocus its efforts on selling residential mortgages to home buyers. Under Jane, Citigroup closed several mortgage offices nationwide, laid off 1,000 people. That was just in September of 2013 alone. Now, after she brought down the hammer in the mortgage group in 2014, she was made CEO of U.S. Consumer and Commercial Banking, but that only lasted a year, and she was quickly moved over to Mexico. Now, she was sent to Mexico as CEO of Citigroup Latin America, and she had a task to instill a more U.S.-like culture. What that really had to do with is the fact that the Mexican unit had been duped into accounting fraud by an oil services firm. And Citigroup was fined $2.2 million on fraud charges, which they settled. So Jane was sent to Mexico to clean that slop up, which is why her stint as CEO of U.S. Consumer and Commercial Banking was cut short. At the same time that this is going on, Mike Corbett has been CEO of Citigroup. He came in in October of 2012. 
And he was given this promotion because he had the awful job of cleaning up a lot of the toxic mortgages. And he not only did that, but he turned a profit for Citi. But then things started to take a turn. In 2014, Citi failed a Federal Reserve stress test, and the Fed let Citi know that it had serious concerns about the bank's ability to assess risk. Now, 2015, there's the Mexican oil services fraud scandal. Fast forward to 2019, and a lot of banks are doing really, really well. Corbett was able to increase Citigroup's shares by 42% during his tenure, but then you look at others like J.P. Morgan, who increased their share price 141% during the same time period because they invested in having a bank at every corner in every major city and really grew their consumer banking business. A funny thing happened. For a long time, people thought that a guy named Jamie Ferrazzi was going to be the heir apparent to Mike Corbett. But in April 2019, he suddenly announced that he was stepping down as president of Citigroup after three decades at the bank, which followed the departures of the bank's longtime chief financial officer and a pair of regional heads. So, Citi fails a stress test, the Mexican branches are involved in all kinds of oil fraud, the share price isn't doing so hot, And the president who's been with the company for 30 years, the CFO who's been there a very long time and a bunch of regional heads leave all at once. Hmm. Another interesting tidbit in this timeline is the heir apparent left in April 2019, but Jane wasn't actually made president of Citigroup until October 2019. The reason? Citi waited until they heard that Wells Fargo had approached Jane for its then-open CEO spot. So they didn't even promote her once the heir apparent left, it was once they felt like they might lose her. And then finally, what made Citigroup's board decide to make Jane CEO? Most likely the fact that in August of this year, Citigroup accidentally wired $900 million to Revlon Inc.'s lenders, which they have yet to recover. They've maybe recovered only half of it. I'll say that again. $900 million was accidentally wired to strangers. Magically, just a few days later, Mike Corbett announced an early retirement. He hadn't been scheduled to retire until 2022. Now we have Jane Frazier as the new CEO of Citigroup. I take a look at this history of Citigroup and how they've treated Jane. And it seems as though she's usually just been thrown into whatever shit mess they have and been like, figure it out. Probably won't, but no one else is going to take the job. And she's miraculously done so. To no appreciation. It wasn't until the board had literally no one left. And it wasn't until another company was willing to poach her that they put her at the helm. It's not definitively a glass cliff, but it sure seems to feel like one. And Jane, I wish you safe travels, but unless the board has some serious turnover, I'm not optimistic. In the time since I started recording this episode, we learned of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that in this episode. However, I will be addressing it in another episode because I want to give this titan, this powerhouse, this icon her due. And I thank you for your patience. As always, reach out to me at ToastProfeshPod on Twitter or Instagram, or shoot me an email at ToastProfeshPodcast at gmail.com. Chat soon.
Bye.